You're listening to The Blurred Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Manley. This is a place where each week we will talk about everything from worship, world religions, culture, trends, and more, but we'll look at and discuss these things from a biblical lens. In a world where so many issues are blurry, the goal here is to make things clear. Let's dig in. All right, y'all. Thank you again for tuning in to the Blurred Podcast. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Dylan Manley, and I'm very excited. Uh, today, we kick off the inaugural uh, podcast in our series on world religions. And I think it's very important that we talk about these things because there's a lot of religions and worldviews that mention Jesus or that claim Jesus. But is it the same Jesus as the biblical Jesus, the one of Christianity, the one of Christian theism? Uh, and so today we're going to be talking about uh, the Jesus of Mormonism, uh, of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I've got a very special guest that I'm excited to introduce to you, a guy named Eric Johnson. And so, Eric, I'll let you uh, tell a little bit about yourself, what you do, and all that good stuff. Well, thanks for having me on, Dylan. Uh, I am with Mormonism Research Ministry, and that is an evangelical Christian ministry that's based in the Salt Lake City, Utah area. Uh, Bill McKeever is the founder. He founded it back in 1979 in Southern California. And uh, after a number of years in education, I ended up moving to Utah in 2010 and joined Bill, who moved here in 2004. But we were neighbors in, in uh, Southern California, and now we're neighbors in uh, the Sandy, Utah area. But uh, we, we do a number of things in our ministry. Uh, Bill and I are the two full-time employees. We have several volunteers as well. But one of the things that we do is the website that we operate. And we actually began that in 1995 when the internet was just starting. And, <laughs> the advent. Uh, so, yeah, yeah we, we have a three-letter URL, mrm.org, which stands for Mormonism Research Ministry, uh, .org. And, and so we have literally hundreds of articles uh, on different aspects of Mormonism. We have series. We have one I just did last year called um, Crash Course Mormonism. And actually the URL for that is crashcoursemormonism.com. And it has short 1,000 word articles on all of the main teachings of the LDS Church. So we do things like that. We also have a podcast radio show. It does play on the radio five days a week um, in four different states, including here in Utah, two in Idaho, one in Nevada, one in California, uh, that is called Viewpoint on Mormonism. And we've been doing that since 2011. So we're coming up soon to our 2500th show that we wow. have done. And uh, those can be listened to. We have an archive uh, at mrm.org slash podcast. And if you go uh, to one of the links there, it'll, it'll take you to the newest shows that we have for, for the current weeks. But also, you can go on an archive that has in order all the different kinds of shows. So uh, we, we've had a lot of success with that. Uh, so we also like to go to churches and, uh, and explain to people what Mormonism is all about, how a Christian can have a constructive conversation with Latter-day Saints. We write books. Um, uh, we have a book called Mormonism 101 that came out in 2015 with Baker. Uh, it's a good overview of Mormonism as compared to biblical Christianity. Another book we wrote in 2013 called Answering Mormons Questions that was printed by Kriegel. 
in, uh, in 2013. Uh, a couple of years ago, I worked with my friend Sean McDowell, and uh, we came out with a book that in includes essays from a number of different people. Uh, it's called Sharing the Good News with Mormons, and that was published by Harvest House Publishers. And I also wrote another one that was self-published called Mormonism 101 for Teens. Uh, it's a lighter version of the Mormonism 101. Yeah. And it's, it's helpful for teenagers because uh, it's hard, especially if you live in, in a Mormon area such as we do in Utah, Idaho, uh, Arizona, very heavy concentration of Latter-day Saints. And so trying to explain to teenagers what exactly Mormonism is all about and how they can uh, share the good news with their LDS friends. We're very big on evangelism. I like to go to Mormon temple open houses all yeah. over the United States. And, um, and we, uh, we just try to uh, inform people of what Mormonism really does teach. Yeah, so there's a variety of things that we do, but those are some of the main things that are, are staples. And uh, we have a newsletter. If anybody's interested, they can actually go on to mrm.org and sign up for an online newsletter that comes out every other month. Just to get, it's kind of the cutting edge of some of the research that we're doing. And in fact, I'm working on a book right now, and I'm, uh, I have a publisher that might be willing to take it. And it's going to be called Introducing Christianity to Mormons. And so oh, wow. it's going to be a little different kind of a book that is aiming at um, Christians who, uh, well, we're in a day and age, Dylan, where people don't really focus so much on doctrine, but doctrine is so important. Oh, when you're talking, yeah. Yeah, when you're talking to Latter-day Saints, if you don't know what it is you believe, yeah, you're going to get really confused and you're going to come back to us and you're going to say, I thought you said that Mormonism is different from what we believe. Well, it is. It's just that we use the same language. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and, and those terms that we know what we mean when we say grace or when we even say Jesus yeah. uh, are yeah. not understood with our Latter-day Saint friends. And so we're very big on explaining Christianity to Mormons, and this book is going to kind of be a, a really small systematic theology, but helping people to see, using dialogues, real life dialogues that I have had with Latter-day Saints to show how we can explain Christianity because we have many Latter-day Saints leaving the uh, LDS church and they're yeah. headed toward nothing. In fact, yes. one statistic uh, in the next Mormons, the book by Jana Reese, a Latter-day Saint, said that 44% of all people leaving the church head toward atheism, agnosticism, or nothing at all. And that's mm -hmm. not what we want to see. Yes. I've got a, uh, I've got a very good friend of mine um, in, in Salt Lake City. Her name is Jen, and uh, she is former LDS and grew up that way and just had some really difficult life circumstances. And, and the long story short is through it all, um, she kind of came to a crossroads where she had to either admit that the LDS teachings were, were false, but then she had to, you know, figure out, okay, well, what then do I believe? And, and, you know, praise God for her. She was able to get connected into a local church and all that. But she told me once when I was visiting that apologetically, you can easily dismantle, you know, an LDS sort of argument, but you will walk them straight into atheism if you don't show them the grace of Jesus. And uh, I have found that definitely to be true um, in, in conversations that I've had with missionaries and um, in conversations that I've had even with, with friends of mine uh, who are still a part of the Latter-day Saint Church. And so I think that's really important that you're, that you're writing that and that that's something that 
people can get their hands on because I do think you're right that you can know everything that the LDS church believes, but if you as a believer, as a Christian, don't know the doctrine that you hold to, it doesn't really matter. And you're right on that. And in fact, there's a saying that Mormons have amongst themselves to encourage each other when maybe they're finding out information that is disturbing their faith. Um, if the church isn't true, then nothing else is. If you say mm -hmm. that to a Latter-day Saint, or especially a former Latter-day Saint, they know what you're talking about. Yeah. And yeah. so there's this idea that if the Mormon church is not true, well, certainly Christianity is not true because unfortunately for it, it came from um, apost apost apostasy, I guess. Yeah. It took place soon after the, the, um, uh, the time of the apostles. And so our Christianity is corrupt. And so they, uh, they won't head toward Christianity, and we think that's a shame. In fact, fewer than 10%, according to the poll, go to evangelical Christian churches after leaving Mormonism. Many of them may go to uh, other religions. They may go to liberal Protestant denominations that really are not teaching the gospel, but right. it's a minority. Right. And so we want to see fewer uh, people heading toward nothing at all and to be able to show them that there really is a God. There really is a Jesus. God and Jesus didn't do anything to you. You were part of a man-made right. religion that unfortunately right. took you the wrong direction. But that's what the Bible teaches. There are many false prophets who have gone out into the world. And, uh, and Mormonism, unfortunately, is one of those. So let's talk then. Um, for those who are listening, who maybe they have a little familiarity um, with Latter-day Saints, but maybe they don't have a lot. Um, I would love to just sort of talk through an overview. Uh, obviously, we can't get into all the details because that would take forever. Um, yeah. But I would love to talk maybe about an overview of sort of the beliefs of the LDS Church and then who Joseph Smith was. Yeah, uh, well, Joseph Smith was born in 1805 in Sharon, Vermont, on the East Coast. And uh, he grew up in a uh, kind of a... Uh, a spiritual family, but not a Christian family. Uh, and then, uh, what, according to his story, that in uh, when he was 14 years of age, there were there was a revival, and actually it was part of the Second Great Awakening mm -hmm. in his area. In fact, they called it the Burned Over District because so many itinerant uh, preachers would come through preaching salvation, and they would. He said, fight with each other. They had all these doctrines they did not agree. And so he was looking for the true church. So he went to the Bible, supposedly. And in James chapter one, verse five, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so he took that to me. Well, he could pray about which of all these churches were true. He ends up doing that. And uh, then he ends up going out as, a, again, a 14-year-old boy out to a uh, grove where he lived in New York. And um, it's called the Sacred Grove today. You can actually go visit it. And supposedly, he had an encounter with God the Father and Jesus. It's called the First Vision. Mm -hmm. And God the Father and Jesus, you can see the story in Mormon scripture, in the Pearl of Great Price. It's called the testimony, Joseph Smith testimony. Um, and, uh, and so in the first chapter, it talks about how uh, both God and Jesus uh, spoke to him uh, Joseph Smith was told that none of the churches were true, that all of their creeds were an abomination in God's sight, basically saying, don't listen to any of those Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, <laughs> right. that there's going to be something more. And, uh, and so that's what he's told by God the Father and Jesus. And so every Latter-day Saint will know 
all about that first vision. It's very important to them. They memorize it practically and they know all the details to that. So then uh, he wasn't supposedly believed. Uh, then um, a few years later in 1823, he is um, sleeping in bed with his brothers. Uh, they lived in a small home and so they all had to sleep in the same room and an angel of light came. His name was Moroni and Moroni was supposedly a, once a human being and he was the last living Nephite. Mm -hmm. And uh, what does that mean? Well, uh, there were there were two groups of people, and according to one of the scriptures that he ends up getting these original gold plates from this this angel named Moroni, uh, the B Book of Mormon talks about how these ancient Israelites came over to the Americas uh, right around uh, the time uh, around 700 when we have the um, the Assyrian takeover of uh, of Israel of the of the northern kingdom, and so you have. You have these uh, this man named Le uh, Lehi and his two sons, Laman and Nephi, and they came on a on a boat here and uh, ended up settling here in the North America in in the Americas. We're not sure if it was North America or Central America. Right, there's, no one really knows. It's that's part of the problem is there's no archaeology to help support that. Many many of the scholars from Brigham Young University will look towards Central America to try to determine if there were such people by looking at Aztec and Mayan ruins. But, but anyway, uh, these two people groups lived here. And when Jesus, when he raised from, uh, when he raised into the heavens and ascended in Acts chapter one, according to Mormonism, Jesus came here to visit the other sheep from John chapter 10. And they believe that's referring to these ancient Americans who needed to have the gospel of good news as well. So Jesus came here and he preached to them, and that's all recorded in their scripture called the Book of Mormon. Right. And uh, just, to, and so just to clarify on a point too, the so yeah, the the Israelites, the ancient Israelites that came over here, is actually who became the Native American people. Is that correct? Well, there's doubt. There, well, the DNA doesn't show that. So there's right. some that's, different that's what ideas. Uh, yeah. But but I mean, as far uh, that's how it originally was. Now there's different theories as to how the um, the Native Americans came here because they don't have Semitic blood. And now with right. the DNA, we know that they came the from the Bering Strait. Yeah. But going yeah. back to that story in 1823, he's met by this angel, and and this angel shows him these gold plates that this Book of Mormon is written on. But Joseph Smith is not ready yet. He's only 17. And so uh, the angel says, every year on the same date, September 22nd, I'll come and I'll show you the plates. It wasn't until 1827 uh, that he was allowed to take the plates. And he does. He takes the plates, supposedly, in 1827. He, uh, they're made of gold, and they're six by four by six, a third <laughs> right. of a cubit. It's a third of a cubit foot. And when you think about gold, because that's what that's what the angels said they were, and if you ask Latter-day Saints what were the plates made of, they'll say gold, but gold weighs 2,000 pounds per cubit foot, so this right. would be a weight, a six of a cubit foot, it would be about 200 pounds. Yeah, you know, Sandra um, Tanner in, in Salt Lake City has a replica, you know, the, the lead plates, I believe, are made of lead, Right. Uh, of the exact dimensions and size and everything else, and I've been there and tried to pick those things up, and, and even the lead ones are very heavy. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's and that that set of lead plates that you've list, lifted was 118 pounds. Right. My friend Bill McKeever, the founder of MRM, likes to go out and do evangelism with his set of sheet metal plates, which weigh 80 pounds. I mean, it's very, very heavy. Uh, and I had said 2,000 pounds. I meant to say 1,200 is how much gold weighs per cubic foot. So a six of a cubic foot, these would be 200 pounds. What you were lifting, and they're very difficult to lift at 118 pounds but uh, as lead. But uh, anyway, he does take these plates, supposedly has the ability to translate these plates. Now, the church just came out a few years ago and for the first time admitted that he didn't put his finger on the plates to help uh, translate them, but rather... He had a magic rock called the seer stone and he put that into a top hat and he would put his face into the top hat and then the letters would come out and so he was able to to dictate that to several different scribes that he had over a few years including his wife and a couple of friends and then they translated that 1830 the book of mormon is published the church is founded with six members and uh anyway that's kind of the background to how yeah. this whole thing got started uh, today, this church has about 16 million members uh, from uh, all over the world. Uh, people are um, in many different nations. Uh, the Book of Mormon I mentioned is translated into, uh, gosh, dozens and dozens of languages. But uh, it's led today by the 17th prophet, and uh, he's called the prophet, seer, and revelator. His name is Russell M. Nelson. He's 95 years old. He's a doc. He's a former doctor. In fact, surgeon, yeah. leaders in the church, yeah. uh, they're professionals. And uh, for many years, he was a well-known surgeon. Uh, and he's the president. And uh, then there are two counselors. Uh, those two, those three men together are called the first presidency. Those are the three top leaders here in Salt Lake City. And then there are 12 apostles uh, and um, these these twelve men are, uh, and plus the three, the fifteen are called general authorities, along with a group of men called the seventies. So these men are the ones who lead this church and instruct people on what to believe. And when you take a look at Mormonism and you take a look at what has been taught and what is being taught even today, uh, it denies or distorts every fundamental teaching of the historic Christian church. And I don't think a lot of Christians really realize that because when they talk to their LDS friends, again, we use the same language right. and we, it appears, well, they believe in Jesus. In fact, uh, one of the worst things you can do is go up to a Mormon and say, well, you're not Christian. They get very offended at that. You don't yeah. want to start off in a evangelistic uh, conversations by offending a person, but we have to admit that this church is is not the same and and when we uh, get into these conversations to be able to explain what we mean when we say jesus or when we say grace or salvation versus what they might understand and uh, and never tell a latter-day saint either what he or she believes let them tell you right. but then if you have right. a knowledge of where mormonism is coming from you'll be able to understand better uh, what they mean, and you can have a constructive conversation, but you're going to have to know a little bit of the terminology and the background to this church to be able to be effective. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that you you already alluded to is, you know, and, and I've heard this before, in talking to missionaries uh, who come to my door or in talking to missionaries when I go down to the Temple Square or whatever, um, what I often encounter is, you know, you'll say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, and they'll say, oh, me too. Um, right. And then I often hear the phrase, 
obviously we believe in Jesus. He's in the name of our church, right? The church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And so I think what you're saying and, and what we have to understand is there's a very big difference, very large difference and a contrast between the Jesus of the Latter-day Saints and the Jesus of biblical Christianity. And uh, yeah, exactly right. And, and, you know, Galatians 1, 8, 9 says that it's possible to have a false gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Paul repeats himself twice saying yeah. that uh, if you have a false gospel, it's like no gospel at all. And in 2 Corinthians eleven four, Paul said that it's possible to have a false Jesus. So just because somebody says they are a Christian just like you, right. uh, if right. You, you always want to ask a few key questions, and, and I think quickly you'll find out that maybe they think they are Christian, but that term is overused, unfortunately. It is. And, and you know, as Christians, obviously, the way that we are to analyze if something is true or right in regards to theology is by use of the Bible. It's God's authoritative word. Um, now, the Mormons, uh, the LDS folks, they, they do... Um, hold at least in some regard the King James version of the Bible. But I would like to talk a little bit about um, the Book of Mormon because they put more importance on it than they do on the Bible. And then they also have two other holy texts, one of which you mentioned, the Pearl of Great Price, and then of course, Doctrine and Covenants. And so I would love to sort of discuss their holy texts and, and relationship to the Bible. And, and before I before I move on to that, I one of the things that you talked about a while ago, sorry to, to go back to this, is um, how he translated the Book of Mormon by using a hat and a stone and all this kind of stuff. And I, I don't remember it, which it was. It may have been Joseph F. Smith um, who said that he wrote down, and I can't remember exactly the quote, but he wrote, basically wrote it down and said that Joseph, when he was translating the Book of Mormon, um, was not, like the words would not disappear until he got them perfectly right. Right. Uh, and so, which is problematic because there's been some three to 4,000 alterations in the Book of Mormon. So how can something that's supposed to be so perfect be correct? Yeah, and, and that's, that's a really good question because uh, um, there have been um, over, over 3,000, I think it's close to 4,000 all the way up till 1981. And they've even made some other changes in the last years. But um, uh, this is a book that is, uh, uh, for a Latter-day Saint, the most important of their four scriptures. Those four scriptures, the Bible, King James Version, the, the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of the Great Price, and the Doctrine and Covenants, which are a series of revelations mainly written by Joseph Smith. Those four books together are their written scripture. They're called the Standard Works. And, uh, and when it says it in these Standard Works, then it's supposed to be the way that it really is. But unfortunately, there are contradictions between them. And in fact, if you take a look at the Book of Mormon, you will see that it doesn't teach Mormonism the way that Mormonism is today. Uh, For instance, uh, it says that God is an eternal God uh, in Moroni 8.18, an unchangeable being. And yet uh, Mormonism teaches that God has a body of flesh and bones and was a human in a previous world. They don't know much about it, but that's a problem. Uh, They they don't have a whole lot going on when it comes to um, the idea that people who are already dead can get salvation in the next life in in a temporary state called spirit prison. 
uh, Mormons have temples all over the world, over 160 different temples. And in those temples, most of the work being done there is on behalf of dead people, people right. who are already right. dead. And they, they do these ordinances, they call them, uh, such as baptism for the dead. And also they do marriages. And they believe in proxy, they are doing this for those people that can be accepted in the next uh, in the next life, in the spirit prison. Uh, so, so you have, I mean, the idea that, uh, that people can receive salvation after death is contradicted in the book of Alma, uh, uh, chapter 34. Uh, very clearly, uh, the, some of the main teachings, the idea that temples are efficacious uh, for this work for these other people. And I'll, not only that, but when you get married, you get married in a temple. It's a secret or, or they call it sacred ceremony that uh, you believe that this marriage will allow you to be married in the next life. So you're not just getting married for time, but you're also getting married for all eternity. When you have children, you believe that you will have the opportunity if you qualify through your good works to get to the very top kingdom. There are three kingdoms of glory. The top one is called the celestial kingdom. And if you do all the work that you're supposed to, the hope is that you'll be with your family forever. And you'll be able to continue where God the Father, who once had a God before him. And it gets kind of complicated when you think about God having a God and then that God having a God going back right. into an infinite regress. Right. Uh, it's not, you know, Christianity is doesn't teach that God has a God, that God has always been God. There's only one God. God right. doesn't know of any Everlasting, yeah. Yeah, Psalm 90, uh, verse 2. I, I mean, there's so many different verses in, in the Bible, of course, that contradicts Mormonism. But you in the Book of Mormon, there's a lot there that just does not compute when you read it. And you're supposed to read it and pray about it. So much of this religion is based on your personal feelings. When you pray, you're supposed to have a good feeling. It's called a burning in the bosom. And then you will know that the Book of Mormon is true, that Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God, that Russell M. Nelson is the true prophet on the face of the earth. They have, see, see they really put a lot of emphasis on these human leaders. You, you got to have somebody guiding you. Uh, we always like to ask as Christians, what's wrong with Jesus? Is he minced meat? I mean, uh, right. it doesn't. He, in Hebrews chapter one, verse two, it says, you know, uh, it says that the, there were men who were prophets in the days of old, but today we have Jesus in uh, chapter three, verse one of Hebrews. It says, Jesus is our apostle. So we have a prophet and apostle. We also have a high priest, Hebrews goes on to talk about in the order of Melchizedek. And so we, 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 have, we have a leader. It's just that they think a human leader is a requirement uh, but uh, so, so not so much for Latter-day Saints. They're not big into a lot of theology. They just they know the basics, but uh, they do what their leaders tell them to do and, and uh, believe. And they're they're very well uh, organized in the way that they teach their people so that they can repeat the same doctrines, even though they certainly are not found in the Bible or they're taken out of context, a verse that's pulled out. Right. And without understanding the context, they make it into something that it, it wasn't. Absolutely. And you know, the, the area that I just think is so important to focus on at, at this particular level is the feelings, you know, it's all about feeling. And, and when you're talking to a Latter-day Saint and you're discussing differences between scriptures that you might have with, with their own scripture 
Um, I, I, I hear that same thing. Well, I just feel that it's true. I prayed about it and I felt that it's true. You know, and, and I think for the Christian, we have to continually go back to Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and incredibly right. wicked who can understand it. You know, and if we, if we are people who simply rely on our feelings, well, feelings we know are fragile. They come and they go and they, they don't have any concrete basis much of the time. Uh, and so really pointing people, uh, especially our Latter-day Saint friends, uh, pointing them to the fact that our thoughts can be deceptive is is kind of crucial at some level and for christians that's why we can't be content just to rely on our feeling we have to trust in the word of god and and, and that is the problem with latter-day saints is the bible is accepted as one of their four scriptures and i think christians can use that uh to their advantage to be able to show them that the bible does not teach mormonism but it teaches what we believe as christians but they do have this idea that the Bible is not accurate. There's right. a series of articles that were put together by Joseph Smith called the Articles of Faith. And the eighth article of faith says the Bible is true as far as it is translated correctly. Now, uh, you're in seminary. You certainly understand the word translation and understand the difference between that and transmission. And they're, they're not thinking it was translated badly because just come up with a better translation, but rather... Right. They believe there were corrupt priests who were involved in the transmission of the text. And so we can't really trust what we read. So the Latter-day Saint has been indoctrinated with that idea. So when they realize, when they start to get the information that there are many problems in Mormonism as far as historicity, as far as the theology, uh, many of them end up leaving and don't consider the Bible to be that serious because they just think, well, they're, they still hold on to the lie, even though they reject the lie that Mormonism is true, they will, uh, they'll, they'll end up throwing out the Bible. And without the Bible, you're left with your feelings, which is how they have been instructed all their lives anyway, when they did pray about the Book of Mormon. And they did get some kind of a feeling, and now that feeling no longer works because now they know the, the, um, uh, the, the Book of Mormon is not true, and the religion is not true. So, yeah, we, we want them to know uh, and and study it out. The Bible says in Second Timothy two fifteen to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And one of the things we like to do is really tell the Latter Day Saint, how do you know that there is nothing? Have you researched these other things? And I'm not talking about taking the Bible and praying about it, but have you read the Bible? Have you, have you studied where it came from? I mean, there's a rich history. And that's what I'm trying to do with this book is trying to explain to Christians the, the richness of the Christian theology but and the doctrines that we have. But I'm hoping they'll give it away to Latter-day Saint friends who might read it and understand well, the church might not be true, but something else has to be. And if atheism is true, that's the thing that's true. But it can't be nothing at all. Right. Absolutely. And I think that's so important is it has to be it, the Christian worldview and the Mormon worldview are mutually exclusive. They cannot both be true at the same time. Right. Um, it, they, they contradict each other at every single turn. And so if one is true, then the other by default cannot be true. Not, not that it, it may not be true, it, it cannot be true. And that's a really important understanding to have in regards to knowing the difference between the LDS belief system and the Christian theism belief system is that if one is true, then the other one is false. 
And, yeah, um, you can't have the law of non-contradiction says you can't have something be A and non-A at the same time. Right. So if Mormonism teaches the way that it does, its doctrines are all unique, and and they if it's true, then Christianity can't be true. Absolutely. We both might be wrong, and maybe Mus the Muslims are true. You know, I mean, right. we we can't have it though where you have multiple truths being true, no matter how much postmodernism wants you to say that your truth can be yours absolutely as long as it works for you <laughs> absolutely and going back to the book of mormon just for a minute before we move on i just want to so a lot of people and you touched on this briefly but a lot of people may not know that some of those things that 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 mormons are sort of known for nowadays the things like um you know ceilings and marriages in the temple and baptism for the dead and marriage by proxy and, and all these things none of those things and even the celestial kingdom None of those things are mentioned in the Book of Mormon. Those are all added later in the Pearl of Great Price and in Doctrine and Covenants. Right. Um, and, and so that you have all these different teachings that uh, they see. Joseph Smith said that the Book of Mormon was the most correct book on earth. And a man could get near to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. Right. Well, that's right. a pretty big claim to make. And, and so you ask the Latter-day Saint, well, what's in the Book of Mormon that I need to know? And they'll say, well... Uh, faith, baptism, repentance are the three things I'll usually say. And I say, well, the Bible teaches that. You know, what else? Well, why are these other doctrines that are so important to your religion not discussed and even contradicted in the Book of Mormon? Yeah. And I think it's important, too, on the Book of Mormon, we talked about how it's had, you know, three to 4,000, you know, changes within it since 1830. But also, some of the things in there just, and you and you sort of hit on this earlier too, are archaeologically and historically unverifiable. Um, you know, yeah. things like having chariots and horses in the Americas well before they would have been able to, or even the metal they used, or the armor that they would have had, and uh, the timelines don't add up at all. No, and if you go to the Bible lands, you go to Israel, you go mm -hmm. to Jordan, you go to turkey you go to uh italy and i've been to all those places i go every year i take people uh to israel um i was just there in march when when uh the corona hit and i, I was there for a month and i had to come home uh, to, uh just showing people the real places and there were real people that lived there we have archaeological evidence to help support that uh, some of the events, we have definite evidence. Others, I can't prove. I can't prove the resurrection of Jesus. There's not, no stone that I can show you, no bowl, no coin that's going to be able to prove that. So it's going to require faith, don't get me wrong. Sure. But when it comes to Mormonism, when it comes to the Book of Mormon, it's supposed to be a historical book. Now, more and more Latter-day Saints are moving away from that. And as long as it works pragmatically for them, it doesn't need to be historical. But that's not the way these leaders have taught it for many, many years. They can't even agree as to where the events took place. So like I said earlier, uh, North America, there are some who like Glenn Beck and others who would say it happened on North America. And they have different reasons for why they believe that. They believe that uh, the Hill Cumorah that's found in New York is really the place where there was a big battle. They've done archaeology there. They haven't been able to find any bones or any um, shields or spears and things like that of a war that took place uh, just 1,600 years ago. I mean, that's even uh, not even the same time frame as the Bible, and we find things all over the place in the Holy right. Land. 
but a, a large group of scholars realized the lack of evidence here in North America. So like I said, they have to go to Central America to help support their idea and use other civilizations to do that. So that's a problem because uh, if this is a historical story, and I don't believe it is, uh, but if it is, you would think that there's going to be evidence because people leave behind their junk. They leave their cities behind. They get destroyed by fire. We're able to go and dig and find these things, but we have not been able to do that with anything related to the Book of Mormon. Well, and, and one last thing just on the Book of Mormon, too, that I think is so important is, you know, it's full of, and not just the Book of Mormon, but Joseph Smith himself, it's full of these, these prophecies that are made within the Book of Mormon. So, you know, like you have prophets like Alma and Nephi and then Joseph Smith himself and all these other things. Um, and yet what we have in the Bible in Deuteronomy 18 is, this, is the test of what a prophet is, right? And yes. this idea of the test of the prophet that is given to us in Deuteronomy 18, it basically says in a very summarized version that if this prophet says any prophecy that does not come true, then he is not a true prophet of God and he is not to be feared. And, and so what that tells us is that if someone is claiming the office of prophet of God, then those prophecies must come true. They must be fulfilled. And if they don't, then they're not a true prophet and they're not to be trusted or feared at all. And problematically, the Book of Mormon contains lots and lots of prophecy and Joseph Smith's writings contain lots of prophecy that have never come true. And so it becomes very problematic, I would believe, for the Latter-day Saints to have all these failed prophecies in light of what Deuteronomy 18 says. Yeah, and, and I mean, there are... You, if you go to Sandra Tanner's book, Shadow Mormonism, Shadow Reality, it's it's not a book that's easy to read. It's a thick 800-page uh, yeah. document. But you can order that from Utah. <laughs> yeah, you can you can order that from Utah Lighthouse Ministry. But they have a whole chapter there on all some of the different prophecies. And you know, it's not just prophecies. Thus saith the Lord, this is going to take place. But it's also, I, I believe, Deuteronomy 13 and 18 are both talking also yes. about teaching a true God. Mm -hmm. And for a person who's not teaching the true God, the true Jesus, the right way that God intended, then they are, as Galatians chapter 1 says, anathema, yeah. and they're to be not believed. And so, so I, I think when Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, there are false prophets out there who are like wolves in sheep's clothing. I think we need to take that seriously. First John 4, 1 says we're supposed to test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do you know a person is a false prophet? You've got to research. You've got, yes. to, you've got to look behind the curtain. And I love Latter-day Saints. And I, if, if anything else, in our conversation, I hope that it's made clear, we love Mormons. Otherwise, yes. I would not have moved my family from Southern California to Utah. I love Utah, but we're here because this people group needs to have uh, the gospel given to them. And so we care very much, and we're not here to win arguments or to, uh, to put down Latter-day Saints. They're fine people. They're good people. But yes. if they are believing, as sincere as they are, that something is but it's not, then it's no better than somebody jumping out of a 20-story building thinking they can land softly at the bottom without a parachute. Well, it's going to be dangerous. The law of gravity will take over no matter how sincere you think you are. Absolutely.
and I think that's the the great that's a great understanding of why we're doing this. And um, I I too I love the Latter Day Saint people uh, to death, and um, to to not love them would be not to share the truth, but to love them is to share truth with them um, in hope that they come to know Jesus Christ, uh, the true Jesus Christ, uh, and not this sort of amalgam that's been created of, of him. And, um, you know, going back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter six, I mean, God is very clear that there is one God and it's him. Right. And, you know, you mentioned earlier the infinite regression um, if there, well, this God had a God and this God had a God and so on and so forth. But yet that is in stark contradiction to what Deuteronomy six and not just Deuteronomy six, but what all of, you know, the old Testament and new Testament say about the Lord being one being one God. Um, there are no others, so on and so forth. Even the 10 commandments, you know, that's, it's in there as well. So I think it's a good segue then to talk about the difference between Mormon Jesus and the biblical Jesus, because we mentioned this a little bit earlier but both both uh, people groups, both the Latter Day Saints and and Christians, would obviously espouse and claim the person of Jesus. So, what's the difference between the Latter Day Saint Jesus and the biblical theism or Christian theism Jesus, if there's a difference? Which obviously there is. To understand the the difference between Christianity's version of Jesus versus Mormonism's, we're going to have to understand a little bit about Mormonism's, what's called the pre-existence. This is a time before we lived where all spirits existed, including us. All humans were one spirits. Now, we don't remember that event because we uh, had our brains washed when we were born onto this earth, but there were, um, well, I'm reading from Spencer Kimball, and uh, he was the 12th president of the church in a book that was called Teachings of Spencer W. Kimball. He said, long before you were you were born, a program was developed by your creators. The principal personalities in this great drama were a father, Elohim, perfect in wisdom, judgment, and person, and two sons, Lucifer and Jehovah. So according to Mormonism, Heavenly Father once lived in another world. He, he had a God. He apparently was good enough. We don't have a lot of information from uh, LDS sources to let us know what he did right and what he did wrong. Many Latter-day Saints may think he even sinned. We've talked to a number of Latter-day Saints who say they have no problem that God may have once sinned. But he, he came into existence as, a, as the uh, God of this universe, this world that we live in. And so he had he's married there are heavenly mothers uh multiple polygamy is in the heavenlies and he literally uh, impregnated all of these different women to produce spirit children so all the spirit children that live there um uh including uh well all the people that lived on this earth apparently we all followed jesus uh when there was this uh, disagreement between lucifer the spirit brother of Jesus and Jesus himself. Jesus mm -hmm. said, I'm the oldest. I should be the uh, savior of the world. Lucifer said, no, I think I deserve a chance at this. Lucifer's plan was to force everybody to accept the gospel plan laid out by, by Elohim, God the Father. And, uh, and Jesus says, no, I'm going to give them agency. I'm going to give them the ability to choose. Well, the right plan was Jesus's. So Lucifer is cast out of heaven with one third of our brothers and sisters who sided with him, the other two thirds of the spirits are, were gonna be given bodies so that they might have a chance to progress. So Jesus basically is this righteous firstborn literal son. He is not 
capital G God, they don't, uh, Mormonism does not accept the Trinity, uh, but that he became God without having to go through mortality. So when he came here, he did live as a human, but he wasn't trying to earn his, uh, his right to become a God. And so the idea of Jesus in Mormonism is he's considered to be the savior. He, uh, it, it's the, the Mormons will use the term atonement and the grace that was offered through the atonement uh, that, um, uh, again, has different meanings. But when you accept Jesus uh, in this life, that's not the end. In fact, all people are going to get to go to one of three kingdoms of glory just because they were righteous in that first estate, the pre-existence I was talking about. And so you live this life, you're supposed to um, be righteous. And because of what Jesus did, through the atonement and through the grace, you're going to get one of three kingdoms of glory. But that's not what salvation by grace is all about, what we would think. Because right. in order to receive the, the idea of uh, the celestial kingdom, the top kingdom of the three, and to become a god, you have to keep all the commandments all the time. They, the Latter-day Saints, that's drilled into them. And yeah. so obedience is what is a requirement. So Jesus certainly gets us to the party but it's your responsibility to take yourself and lift you, yourself up by your own bootstraps and mm. get yourself to a place where you can be with your family. And in fact, there's a little saying in Mormonism, uh, a little couplet that was put together by the fifth president, Lorenzo Snow. And it says, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may be. Yeah, so the so idea tough, that, yeah. yeah, so so the idea that uh, as, as, um, Man is, God once was, he lived in a previous world. As God is, the God of this world, man may become. And so the idea that uh, people have the opportunity to get eternal life, eternal life in Mormonism is qualifying for the celestial kingdom. It's called also exaltation uh, and the idea that you will be glorified and that someday your hope is just as God the Father was once a human who became a God, the hope is that you too can become a God. The man will become the God. The woman will become the goddess. Uh, the Mormons uh, in the temple, they, they have special ordinances. They, they learn special handshakes. Uh, they get new names there. And the man is responsible to raise his wife up on resurrection day. And they have these series of handshakes that they learn in the temple that uh, is believed that is what's going to qualify them because they know the right handshakes. They come from masonry, actually. Joseph Smith was a high-ranking mason. And so by doing these handshakes, by knowing the code, you're going to have a chance to, to become a god in that celestial kingdom world. So, And the idea is, you know, for Christians, the idea of being with Jesus forever, that seems to be what the Bible teaches we would want to be, uh, where we would want to be in heaven with Jesus. And we worship Jesus. We pray to Jesus. Latter-day Saints don't understand that. They don't understand right. why. Well, what are you going to do in heaven if you don't have a family, if you don't have the ability to have relations? You're going to sit on a cloud and play a harp. They have this misconception as to what heaven is. And their idea for them is not having Jesus be with them, but to be with their their uh, biological family members. And I think that's such a, man, what a, what an interesting contrast from what the Bible teaches. Um, you know, the, especially in regards to who Jesus is, 
where he comes from. He is not the spirit brother of Lucifer. He is not um, on equal footing with Lucifer. He is all powerful. He's God. He is fully God, fully man. And it is Jesus alone who by the cross and the resurrection through grace um, by faith is able to save anyone. And what makes me so heartbroken uh, for our Mormon brothers and sisters and friends is this idea of the grace after all you can do um, that you're saved by grace, but the grace is only sufficient to cover a small amount. The rest of it is up to you. And um, even further on, on the person of Jesus in, in the Latter-day Saint understanding is that he also really the, the sacrifice, his blood atonement was actually accomplished, not at the cross, but at the garden of Gethsemane. Yeah, I mean, the cross is kind of the afterthought. And in earlier days, they never even mentioned the cross. Now they'll say Garden of Gethsemane and the cross. But mm -hmm. if you're talking to a Latter-day Saint and they say, well, we believe in Jesus. He's in our church's name. Missionaries will point to their badges. Just know that it's not the same. Let me give you 15th President Gordon B. Hinckley just a few years ago in 1998. This is what he said. Uh, he said, in bearing testimony of Jesus Christ, President Hinckley spoke of those outside the church who say Latter-day Saints do not believe in the traditional Christ. He said, no, I don't. The traditional Christ of whom they speak is not the Christ of whom I speak. Mm -hmm. For the Christ of whom I speak has been revealed in this dispensation of the fullness of times. He's talking about since the 19th century with Joseph Smith. He, together with his father, appeared to the boy Joseph Smith in the year 1820, and when Joseph left the grove that day, he knew more about the nature of God than all the learned ministers of the gospel of the ages. Wow. And then a few years later, because people, the reporters were bringing this up to him, he, he, uh, he said in, in a general conference talk that was published in a church magazine in May of 2002, he said, as a church, we have critics, many of them. They say we do not believe in the traditional Christ of Christianity. There is some substance to what they say. Now, let me say, if a leader like Gordon Hinckley can tell you that we don't believe in the traditional Christ of Christianity, going back 2,000 years, going back to what the Bible teaches, that ought to be problematic. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think that's a great, great point to bring up, too, when you're talking to missionaries or friends who are Latter-day Saint, is to say, hey, listen, this was a prophet of the church and not too, you know, just two prophets ago um, who made this comment that we do not believe in the traditional Christ and that there's some substance to that is say, when we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about Jesus of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who then became incarnate in flesh, stepped down from glory and, and came to earth, not this spirit brother of us all who somehow, um, bled in the garden of gethsemane and his grace is partially sufficient but not fully sufficient and there's a very very difference a very big difference between those two jesus's yeah, absolutely right and so i guess the sort of the last question that i think we we should approach because again we could we could talk about this for hours and still never cover even a fraction of of what we would like to cover here um but just for the sake of time what are some ways, some of the most effective ways, or at least some tips for those who are listening, who may have Latter-day Saint friends or who, when missionaries come to their house, they don't panic and freak out. What are some things that we should say or approaches that we should have toward our LDS friends or missionaries? Well, I mean, there's not a magic bullet question or right. 
tactic that you're going to be able to use. And everybody has different ways of going about it. Uh, I, I have been asked so many different times, you know, what, what can I do uh, to be able to explain to a Latter-day Saint why I believe Christianity is true and why Mormonism is not true? And that's a great attitude to have. But I always like to say I'm not sure. I mean, I, I have my way. There's, there's different ways out there. I can, I can tell you how I like to do it, but don't think my way is patented. Um, but a few years ago, I, was, I came up with the idea for this book called Sharing the Good News with Mormons that I mentioned earlier that I did with Sean McDowell uh, that has 24 chapters and I think 26 total people that were involved with it. Some really neat people. I mean, Sandra Tanner has a chapter, uh, Mark Middleberg, Sean McDowell does, uh, Matt Slick from Karm.org, uh, Robert B uh, Bowman, a good friend of ours, uh, Jay Warner Wallace, who wrote Cold Case Christianity. Yeah. What this whole book is about, and I just gave you a few of the names, but what this whole book is about is different tactics to use to be able to help um, a, a, a Christian say, oh, I like that idea. In fact, there's one here uh, that I've had people say, oh, I've used that and it's really worked um, and I'm looking for it right now. Um, I can't find it off the top of my head here. Um, Joel Grote, that's it. Chapter 21, when being good is not good enough, the awareness of sin approach. He has this tactic talked about in this book that uh, he, he likes, because a lot of Latter-day Saints don't realize how much we sin. So he does math with them. And he says, okay, let's say from the time you were five to the time you're 20, you sin 10 times a day. And so he does all this addition. And by the time you're done and you're not even 40 years old, you've got hundreds of thousands of sins and even some sins that you don't even know you committed. And so he uses that to explain the need for the gospel, because I think the worst thing a Christian can do is just come up and say, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not going to work with a Latter-day Saint right? Uh, because they think they're Christian as well. So, uh, so, so anyway, there are so many tactics that are talked about in a book like this. We have things on our website people can look up. I guess the number one thing is you really have to know the real deal first. You really have to know Christianity. If you don't know Christianity, I wouldn't mess with the Mormon stuff until you, 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 you read your Bible, you, you, uh, you, you understand some of these doctrines. Uh, so that you might be able to be effective in comparing them. And I'm not saying you have to go to seminary or Bible college to be effective, but uh, knowing what you believe is so important, and then you might be able to have the ability to share the gospel in a way that they can understand, because it's like learning a new language. And so when you use those terms we were talking about before, you need to know what you mean, but you need to know what they believe as well. And so you even say, well, when you say salvation by grace, what do you mean? And you had earlier, you had mentioned Second Nephi 25, 23, we're saved by grace after all we can do. I love to bring that verse up because Absolutely. what the Latter-day Saints says, you have to first do all you can do before you can receive the grace. Boy, is that such a difference from what Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 talks about. Mm, and then they'll say, well, what about good works? Don't you believe in good works? Well, yes, I do. And you go to verse 10. And after it, gets, after it says in Ephesians 2, 9, that we're uh, saved by grace through faith, not by, uh, it's not by works, lest any man should boast. It goes on and says, we are God's workmanship created by Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. So we have a reason for why we believe in good works. It's to live out your Christian faith. And that's what James was talking about when he said in James 2, 20 and 26, that, um, uh, th that works are 
necessary as part of being a true believer because the Bible doesn't know a Christian without having fruit. Jesus says right. you'll know them by their fruit. So, so all of these things are going to, I guarantee you, if you get into one conversation with Latter-day Saint, you've been in a hundred of them. A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> they, they say the same things. They have the same concepts. So if you can just start thinking like the Latter-day Saint is thinking, faith without works is dead. That gets brought up right off the bat. I know where to go. I know, I know how to deal with that. So a lot of it's experience, but pray for your friends and family members and the missionaries who might come knocking on your door, not in the COVID age right now, but right. when they, when you do run into them, that these are real people. This is not a game. We're not here to try to win uh, uh, brownie points with God because we, we beat the Latter-day Saint in, in an argument, but rather care about caring about them so much that you are willing to share the truth. And it's not easy. Uh, no. When we're talking about how to approach our friends or the missionaries, it's not easy because we feel sometimes in this 21st century, we're so judgmental. But let me just say, have you ever had something green between your teeth and uh, nobody said anything the entire day and you get in front <laughs> of the mirror at the end of the day and you say, gosh, I wish somebody would have said something or my Absolutely. zipper was down. Why didn't my, these people all saw me and they, they might have laughed behind my back, but they didn't, they were not willing to tell me the bad news. You can't tell somebody the good news until you've conveyed the bad news. Absolutely. And that's what we're trying to do, you know, with our ministry. We're trying to explain, yes, unfortunately, Mormonism is not true, but that's not the end of the story. There is a God. There is a Jesus. The Bible is true. And we're going to encourage you to read it and uh, we'll help guide you along the way so that you might come into a relationship with Jesus that's built on the truth and not built on error. Perfect. I love that. Uh, and, you know, I, I love I love the approach that we have to have is one of humility. And um, I can I can tell you early on in, in my ministry career and even just as a young adult, um, a lot of times it was about proving I was right instead of trying to showcase love and you don't get anywhere with that um, right and Absolutely. all you do in that moment is you you sort of force them further into their own their own uh pigeonhole that they're in and and you when you don't showcase love and grace and mercy and everything else really what you're doing is you're just you're showing your own pride and vanity and we can't do that and not just with our latter-day saint friends but with anybody that we share the gospel with our approach must be one of humility and kindness and sincerity. Uh, and if it's not, it, you, they'll see it a mile away. And we don't want that, obviously. And so, Eric, I'm, I'm so grateful for you. I will, um, I want to include uh, all the resources that you have in, in our show notes so people can go look that up. But um, thank you so much for taking time with us today. And um, I'd love to have you on again and talk about this further down the road sometime and, and even elaborate and go through some more detail of this. But I'm just grateful for the ministry that you're doing. I'm grateful for, for you and Bill and, and what y'all have already done. And we're looking forward to seeing how what you continue to do is going to be fruitful at pointing people uh, to the true Jesus and not some Jesus that was created uh, by Joseph Smith. And so thank you again for your time and thank you for your work. And uh, we'll continue to be praying for you as well. Oh, we greatly appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, Dylan. It was a pleasure. All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. All right.
Thanks again for listening. As always, if you have any questions or comments about our content, want to know more, have suggestions or ideas about our next topic, you can email me at contact at beardedapologetics.com. This has been the Blurred Podcast. Soli Deo Gloria.